my name is E.J. Bodner, Global CXO Leader at Nutanix, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to another episode of the Cloud Council. The Cloud Council brings together business and technology leaders to seek their advice on navigating major challenges, both immediate and longer term. Today, we're going to be talking about the world of cybersecurity as a strategic imperative. And I'm delighted to be joined by Robert Duncan, who is the Chief Information Security Officer at RDoG Group, which is a global supplier of sustainable packaging for brand owners around the world. Robert is also a mentor and lecturer at Columbia University's Center for Technology Management. And the opinions expressed by Robert are his own and don't necessarily reflect the opinions of his company. So Robert, welcome and thank you for being here. Uh, thank you, EJ, for that uh, introduction. I'm very happy to be here and looking forward to our discussion. Excellent. Thanks, Robert. So, Robert, let's get started. So, new technologies mean rising complexity and security challenges for business leaders. How can CISOs and CIOs become more strategic and adapt to these changes? Uh, that's a really good question, EJ. I guess the first thing I'd, I'd say is try to really understand the business you're working with. So, if, if you take my background, I previously, for about 20 years, worked in financial services. Now I'm in manufacturing. So some of the challenges that I run into from a security standpoint are different uh, based on the industry I'm now in. So that's probably number one. Uh, the next thing to think about is try not to solve what's often called last war problems. So don't, don't think about solving security the way you might have done it a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. It's a, a dynamic industry that's constantly changing. So you've got to really think about things very differently and innovate constantly. Um, to be honest, new technology is by definition, you know, hard to understand because it's by the fact that it's new. So be very, very careful about the implications new technologies might have. I could give you an example for manufacturing. There's a trend called convergence, which is this idea that operational technology and information technology should, should, should interact, uh, integrate more and work more mm -hmm. together, which sounds great strategically. That introduces tremendous new security challenges, though, right? Because systems that haven't talked to each other for 5, 10 or even 20 years are now suddenly communicating. So there's a lot of unknown unknowns that start to uh, start to creep in in that sense. Um, and the last thing I'd say about new technologies is try to stay close to the hype. So, you know, it used to be blockchain. Mm -hmm. Now it's uh, what's called generative uh, AI. And that's a really interesting area for cybersecurity that we can maybe talk more about today. Um, that's introducing huge risks to CISOs and to security teams because things that might've taken five days ago now uh, with a really skilled penetration tester, for example, can be done in three hours or two hours with generative AI. So it's really changing things tremendously. So it's a great example of new technology that you have to be aware of. Yeah, that's great insight, Robert. And, and to your comment, it really is a dynamic, brave new world out there. Um, so your experience and uh, perspective is, is greatly appreciated. So Robert, you've said it's not just about protecting your company. It's also how you respond when something happens, which is inevitable, it seems. So what would be your advice to CISOs and other business leaders when they experience a security breach? Well, that's, that's a, again, a great question. Um, that's something you, of course, hope you never experience, but unfortunately, almost everybody does to some degree or another, right? It's just about the scale of the breach itself. But the first thing I'd say is stay calm. Um, you've done nothing wrong. You're actually the victim, you and your organization, of, of a criminal activity. Uh, work through your cyber playbook, and that's something I talk a lot about in my class at Columbia and the Nutanix Masterclass that we also teach. Um, playbooks, for those of you that don't know, is essentially just trying to think through what could happen to you and being prepared. So think of it as scenario analysis. So if, for example, your payment system went down, what would you do to recover payments? 
if you're in manufacturing and one of your plants uh, was impacted by, say, ransomware, what would you do in that case? And so by thinking about these things in advance, it allows you to stay calm and be ready to react. It also gives your executive team, and this is probably the most important point here, the ability to protect, uh, practice before something actually happens in the real world. So if the worst does happen, you're prepared. Um, so that, that would be my main takeaway. You know, make sure you're, you practice, you're ready to go. But if the worst does happen to you, use your playbooks, stay calm. And remember, you're the victim at, at the end of the day. And you need to take care of your customers and your shareholders and your employees as best you can. Yeah, and I've had the privilege of going through Rob's class at Columbia University, and that playbook exercise is, is just invaluable. As Rob highlighted, you know, making sure that you're prepared for the different contingencies is very important. And Rob, just, just, to, just to ask you, how many organizations out there do you say are really ready with their playbook, uh, with their responsiveness, uh, not just your organization, but in general, the organizations out there? How would you characterize their readiness, if you would? I think it kind of breaks into three types. There, there's one type that um, literally doesn't have playbooks. Uh, they're, they're not really prepared and they spend a lot of time focusing on the perception of security, right? So they've got, maybe they, they deal with auditors a lot. They've got ISO 27001, various other things. So that's, that's one group. That, that group can be changed though once they're made aware of playbooks. To your point about the class, um, EJ, I think every student, when they hear about the concept of playbooks, it, it's like a light bulb moment. They realize why it's important. So those that, that group can change, that group of companies. Then you've got the mid-tier companies that kind of take it seriously, but maybe the budget's not quite where it needs to be or, or the CISO's too far down in the organization to really be effective. And then the last third, which is the third that um, tend to be more uh, common in financial services and some are bigger industries, are the ones that you know, have really good playbooks, probably test at least twice a year, and are the most prepared to respond and recover their business. And remember, that isn't just a cybersecurity challenge. That's That needs everybody in the business to take part. Because the security team can only detect events and make you aware of activities. But when it comes to recovering your systems, you need your CIO in place. You need all your executive team helping you as well. So it's a joint effort. Great insight. Thank you. So just as CISOs are becoming more strategic oriented, cybersecurity teams also need to be supported on their strategic journey as well. What are the greatest benefits that an organization can see from investing in its cybersecurity team and capabilities? Uh, again, great question. I, I think some of this comes to, well, the way you define investing is interesting because I would actually say investing in this case is believing in the security team. It's not even a monetary uh, aspect to it. It's it's believing that the CISO, if, if he or she says that they're worried about something or if they say they need some emergency budget, uh, basically just supporting the security team in general. That, that to me is the number one thing. Forget about budget. Everybody in the company, believing in the team, believing what they're doing is right, is really important. Um, if you have a really good security team, I also think there's a risk of a bit of the kind of uh, boy who cried wolf syndrome where nothing mm -hmm. seems to happen and the security team keeps telling you there's all these great risks out there and you don't see anything happening. So therefore you start thinking the security team might be overstating risks or you get tempted to cut their budget back. Uh, that happens unfortunately in many cases. And I'd say, again, back to the point of investing, if you trust the team and they tell you they need budget for X, Y, or Z, then make sure that you're providing the budget and trust them to be doing, doing the right job that they need to. Um, the last thing I'd, I'd say that I think is quite useful is, is consider embedding security early in anything, whether it's a application, technology initiatives, uh, even the new mergers and acquisitions. You know, it, it, security needs to be involved early. That's a principle called security by design, which is a great way to uh, invest in the team, but also make the team feel like they're part of the business instead of just a team that's kind of out there to respond to events. Yes, much, much better if I may characterize it to be proactive and be ready than to just be reactive. Is that is that a fair statement? 
Yep, I, I totally agree. Yep, be proactive and ready. And like I said earlier, be prepared for, for any event. Indeed. So you've described the role of CISO as a curious job title. Uh, can you please elaborate on this? Uh, sure. I think it's probably the only executive title that uh, if you ask anybody, they'll define it differently. There's there's not a, a clear uh, idea of what it means. It could be somebody who literally one individual who's maybe way down in an IT organization who's looking at something like, say, security architecture, uh, you know, and they might call themselves a CISO all the way up to a big, big role in, say, a major bank where you're typically looking at not just cybersecurity, but what's typically called operational resilience. So how will you recover systems all around the world? If you take manufacturing, a CISO might be looking at the cybersecurity side, but also thinking about how they'll recover their factories if there's a ransomware attack or how they'll isolate mm -hmm. things. So it's it's a broad, broad area. Um, the last thing that I think is really curious about it is the idea of accountability and authority. Some people think if they've got a CISO, then everything's covered. Or, you know, in a crude way, they might say there's a throat to choke if something happens. Uh, but I think, you know, I think a CISO needs to be defined very clearly. If you do take the job, make sure you understand what you're getting yourself into. Because the worst thing you can do, as they always say in management, right, is accountability without authority because you won't get mm -hmm. anything done. And then eventually when there is a breach, you'll just simply be blamed for it. So if you do find yourself in that kind of culture, uh, you definitely need to uh, remove yourself from it as quickly as you can. Great advice. So you've also emphasized the important importance of an effective security culture. Why is culture so vital to an organization's cybersecurity strategy? So EJ, it's probably the most important thing, uh, I think. It's the culture of the company, right? No matter how, how good your cybersecurity team is, you can hire the best people. Um, if the culture is not there and people are bypassing rules and controls and systems, you're not going to be effective as a team, right? And, and culture means doing things like security awareness training, explaining to people why it's important, Always do it in a, in a humble way too, by the way. Don't use acronyms, explain what you're trying to accomplish. Acknowledge that security is very expensive. That, that is true. You know, the, the budgets of CISOs are, is very high. Every pound you spend on security is a pound you're not spending on customers, for example. So you need to, in my view, you have to be very clear when you're doing um, security awareness training and improving the security culture to explain why you're doing certain things. The other issue is, um, I think, if you think about things like convergence again and internet of things and other technologies, the world's going more and more digital anyway. Every single person in any major company uh, is essentially a technologist in some sort. They're touching technology, right? So they do need to be aware of the risks they might be running. That could be anyway from somebody somewhere, someone in your IT organization that maybe is using a privileged account to save time, it, which introduces a, a security risk, uh, making them aware of the risk they're introducing by doing that, all the way down to maybe somebody who's, you know, at six o'clock on a Friday night and they click a phishing event trigger something and instead of reporting it to the security team, they just go home. And by the time they're back on Monday, you've been breached, right? So so yeah, to me, culture is the most important thing and getting it to a great place is tough, but also maintaining it is tough. You know, new, new leadership can come in, have different views. So it's, a, it's, it's continuous improvement. You've got to work constantly to get the culture where you want it to be. Yeah, so question, do you think the threat comes more internally or externally as far as cybersecurity breaches and threats to an organization? So typically, I think I think it's pretty well researched. Typically, most breaches are at least partly enabled by some internal process failure, right? Whether it's somebody uh, bypassing a rule, turning off the system inadvertently, uh, or, you know, in typical insider threat, for example, great example. Uh, there's even recent cases in the press the last couple of weeks uh, where, where someone's home computer was breached because they hadn't downloaded some, some software updates, which then allowed uh, the company to, to be breached. 
So um, yeah, I would I would argue internal, and that's also because external is a little easier to defend against, right? You can do, you can study your perimeter, you can learn about where you need to patch things and and not patch them if if, if that's appropriate. But the internal side is really tricky because it gets back to your point earlier, EJ, about security culture and how people approach security. So yeah, I'd, I'd say the internal threat, unfortunately, is always out there, and you have to always be looking for it. Okay. So now you have to be aware of and comply with regulations, new regulations that come in on a, on a constant basis. Have those new regulations made the CISO role more or less of a challenge? Um, well, regulation is always well-intentioned, right? But you know what they say about good intentions, they don't always lead to good things, right? So I, so I think um, I, I would always say regulation is helpful uh, within reason. So if you take financial services where I used to work until recently, uh, I think in the UK, the Financial uh, Conduct Authority is excellent. You know, some of their, they, they partner with CISOs, they work with you to, to do testing, for example. They do something called CBEST testing in the UK, where they work with firms to literally simulate attacks on them and help them learn about how to improve. So there's some great regulators and regulations out there like that. Um, two others that people will be aware of is the GDPR here in Europe. California Data Protection Act is very similar. Those types of regulations also are reasonably helpful for CISOs because of the mm -hmm. threat of the fine means that if you have to, you can point out to executives and others that if we don't do certain things beyond the fact we should do it anyway, and it's the right thing to do, there is the threat of a fine that will occur. And the, th the fine tends to be higher if, if the um, authorities believe you weren't prepared or you didn't take things seriously, fines are lower if you can respond and recover quickly. So you can tie, I, th I think it can really make your regulation your partner uh, if, if, you're, if you think about it that way. Um, I think one of the downsides of it, though, is that it puts a lot of heat on a CISO if they're in a regulated environment like financial services, because you typically have to report to your board quarterly on it. Um, if you were to report, say, you're worried about a couple of things on a board level report, a regulator typically will not like to see that because board level reports are, can be viewed by regulators. Equally, though, you certainly don't want to greenwash and say things are perfect. Mm -hmm. So so I think it's a double edged sword with regulation. Very valuable, but it does make the CISO's job a little bit tougher sometimes. Uh, to be an honest broker, which is what you should always be, you know, integrity is the most important thing in this kind of work. So, Rob, introducing too much new technology or new tools into an organization can put your cybersecurity program at risk. What are some of these risks and how do you deal with it? Uh, it's a really good question, EJ. I, I guess there's a couple things to think about. Security vendors typically, especially the newer startups, will tend to promise you the world and they'll promise you that they're going to solve all your problems. Very unlikely they actually can. So be very careful of that a bit of a kind of like snake oil salesman, you know, it's probably mm -hmm. not going to work. Um, equally, though, if you can kind of rely and trust on kind of more proven technologies that have been out there and kind of have gone through testing and validation, and maybe you've worked with various vendors and you've got trusted partners, definitely go that route. Um, one thing that I like to talk about as an analogy is that if you have uh, five different controls that are lined up that are about 50% effective, that's actually more effective than one control that's 95% effective. So what, what that really means is, Deploy simple controls, understand your networks, understand what you're trying to prevent, and then always have fallback controls, right? And that doesn't have to be expensive, fancy technology, but always have fallbacks because anything can happen. And what you want is if one control fails, the next control to pick it up and stop something you know terrible from happening. Um, I'd also say, by the way, to the point about introducing new tech, it's the, the wider risk isn't really just security technology being introduced. It's also wider IT technology or new innovations mm -hmm. that the CIO, CIO side of an organization wants to introduce. A good example in manufacturing, getting back to this idea of convergence, is there's a real interest now in uh, allowing executives to monitor, say, plant production uh, mm -hmm. via dashboards, which sounds really interesting. But getting that to do to function properly means you have to have your IT systems and your operating technology systems talking very effectively, 
which equally means that now you've got a, you've enabled a way for an attacker with say ransomware to traverse your entire network and bring down every single plant you, you might have and larger larger manufacturing might have 75 plants or 100 plants so just to allow an executive to have a dashboard view of what's going on in the plants in the middle of say somewhere in africa might sound nice uh, on a board presentation but in terms of the security risk that introduce is is massive right so i think that's where Getting security involved early, as my as I pointed out uh, in a previous question, mm-hmm. with this idea of security by design is really important to say, look, I, I get what you're trying to do, but just make sure you understand that if we take certain activities here, there's going to be a cost to secure the systems differently. Great insight. So, Rob, what do you think the term cyber resilient means to a CISO? Uh, really good question. I, I think. For me, and I think for a lot of CISOs now, it's kind of the respond and recover piece of the Nest framework, right? It's it's being aware that something could happen to you. Of course, you don't want it to. And you can spend a lot of money on preventative controls, detective controls, all of which are really important. Um, but if you're not thinking about the respond and recover elements, uh, you're doing it wrong, right? You're not really cyber resilient. And that's really important in manufacturing, but equally so in, in financial services. But you know, to give you an example in manufacturing, if, say, a plant went down for an hour, you might lose few hundred thousand of production. If it goes down for a day, you might be losing two or three million. If it, if it goes down across, say, 100 plants, suddenly you've, you've, you've got a really, really uh, big problem on your hands, right? Yes. So investing investing in uh, not just the playbooks that I mentioned before, but uh, other operational tools and new ways to bring, say, again, uh, in the case of manufacturing plants back online, maybe with manual processes, is really important. And that could mean doing some things the old-fashioned ways, right? Uh, one, mm-hmm. one thing I've learned and a lot of people will know this in manufacturing is the way things were done 10 or 20 years ago, even though people might think it was old fashioned because it was paper based or involved batch files, et cetera, are actually great to resurrect and bring them back up because they worked 10 or 20 years ago. They can still work in manufacturing. Most plants tend to be 10, 20 or 30 years old anyway, some of the production lines. So um, that anyway, that's what I would say uh, cyber resilience is all about is to respond and recovery. And frankly, everything else I've mentioned too, making sure that people are working together, that there's security culture, all those things come together in a nice, a nice way to make you as resilient as you possibly can be in the events of a big cyber breach. Well, Robert, thank you for your perspective, your insights, and your great advice in the conversation we've had today on the Cloud Council. Make sure to check out previous episodes of the Cloud Council on Nutanix.com slash CXO, and also on Spotify and iTunes. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time on the Cloud Council.